Good evening, everyone. It's, it's such a blessed uh, opportunity that we do have to meet together in this fashion and to share the beautiful messages that the Lord has provided for us online. God has been so precious. When I consider what's been happening all around, and also realize that there will be such a change further. We are living in trouble sometimes, very hard times, but we have a God that we can call upon and we do believe him as we see the beautiful examples from the word of God, how God answered prayers that are prayers for every need that was among its people in times past and we have seen what he has done for us in this assembly. There are a few saints that are not well. We're going to pray that the Lord will touch them in their bodies, comfort them. Uh, Brother Gregory is not well. We're going to remember him. Sister Jasmine, and also the ministers who are holding the truth in truth worldwide at this time. There's no distance in prayer. Our God is, uh, is precious, he's all powerful. Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And uh, he's gonna take that power and utilize it according to the will of God. Amen. So let us all join together as we pray for these, these needs that are very evident. Eternal God and our Father, we thank you for your goodness. We appreciate you. My God, when we consider what's happening everywhere, Lord, there's no time to, to hold back, but we move forward with confidence. Lord, touch, oh God, Brother Gregory at this time. Comfort him, Lord, by your spirit. Strengthen him in his body, whatever need that is there, this illness. Lord, raise him up, I pray thee, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Also, Sister Jasmine, Lord, as we meet tonight, and we remember the precious saints in all over the world that is trusting you, that is believing in you, that is worshiping you in spirit and in truth, we honor and we praise you because you're great and greatly to be praised. Thank you, Father. Amen. 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 Thank you. 
Thank you. Let's be seated. <clears throat> Tonight I've got a raspy voice. And in the early days of my preaching, I was a young man with zeal, had zeal without knowledge. They say, it is commonly said, zeal without knowledge is like a runaway horse. But I prefer a runaway horse than a dead horse. And so this runaway horse has learned over the years uh, to control your voice a little. And uh, the Lord has created certain things in my life that I have to always accommodate. And tonight we are glad to be in church and, and uh, we can be in church for 30 years, 40 years, 45 years, 55 years and comfort in the final resurrection. One of these days I will spend some time and talk about the resurrection because it is an important element uh, that will usher God's people into the kingdom. Uh, we must be born again. Now tonight I've got my notepad here. I was trying to write some notes and every effort I made, made to write notes tonight, it did not happen. And see where we go. And there are a lot of things in Scripture that I am going to say, and this is what Jeremiah would say. My little Jeremiah, if he has something to say, he would come like this. He said, Grandpa, I'm going to say something, but um, I, um, don't misunderstand me or something like that. So I said, listen, kid, when you got to say something, say it. Then <laughs> if I misunderstand, I'm, don't cushion that before, right? Well, he has gotten that attitude from me because I like to cushion and I would say, well, maybe what I'm about to say might not be accepted by a lot of people, but I'll still say it anyways. Years ago, I was in Guyana and um, uh, I had just gone back to Guyana, just started the church and it was a wonderful assembly. We had just come from Des Moines uh, there were news circling around that the false prophet came back to Guyana. And they called me a false prophet. I didn't know they called me a false prophet until I walked into the bank one day. Uh, Rose Hall Bank. I think it might have been Barclays Bank. Sham, which was the bank uh, towards the, the arch? Barclays Bank. So I walked into Barclays Bank. And I just come from America, so I was going to open a bank account in Barclays Bank. And so I walked in there, and I said, I'd like to open an account. I went to the teller, was a young man, very handsome, uh, well-to-do looking young man. And I said, I want to open an account. <clears throat> and he says, can I have your information? So I gave him my passport and, you know, all that was necessary. And he looked at me and he looked at the passport. He says, are you the Desmond Singh? 
I said, what do you mean, the Desmond Singh? <laughs> you see, he, the man heard about me. He heard that Desmond Singh came on in and he was a false preacher. He don't even know who I was. So I said, um, the preacher Desmond Singh? I sort of, sort of figure out. And he said, yes, you're the preacher. I said, yes. He said, I thought you were much older. And so there I was, still in my prime. I must have been 27 years old at that time. And I opened that account and he, uh, he smiled. And then I found out that my, the news about me uh, going around preaching false doctrine was there. And so while I was in Guyana, I um, had an encounter with a man from what we call the Jesus Only Movement. And this man, he met me in the street and we talked a little and he walked up to challenge me. And those days I did not, I had already learned to modify myself. I was still cruel, but I learned to modify myself and don't argue with anybody. I didn't believe in casting pearls, so you know what? And so uh, the argument was there and something came up and this man said that, are you born again? And I said, well, we'll figure it out as we go. Went home that night and I had a dream that I was looking in John, the third chapter. And uh, <clears throat> like I'm, I said earlier, what I'm about to say might um, rock your boat or might upset you or might not make you happy. But um, in John, the third chapter, uh, Jesus uh, here, there was a man uh, the John is writing. He said there was a man, a Pharisee named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi. Now, I believe that this man, a ruler of the Jews, came to Jesus by night simply because he wanted to maintain his credibility among his peers. Uh, he did not want his uh, own organization to condemn him because he was going to Jesus to ask some questions. Amen. And a lot of times, a lot of people are f afraid to identify themselves with the gospel I preach, uh, especially if the message I preach contradicts years of tradition. And this one, this little scripture I'm going to use tonight would seemingly, seemingly contradict a lot of tradition. Now, I have a Bible here that's written in English, and Jesus never spoke English. Paul never spoke English. Peter never spoke English. Isaiah, Jeremiah, nobody spoke English. But I only speak English. So I'm so thankful that I got a translation, whether it's accurate or inaccurate. There is enough here, and with the help of the Holy Ghost, I can understand what God is saying. Now, tonight I might talk a little bit about a particular subject, and I might say, well, um, let's talk about sanctification. And I give you this long kind of talk on what this doctor said, and what this theologian said, and what this Bible seminary said on sanctification. Now, for me, as a minister, I'm this kind of minister. I don't care what the theological concept of sanctification is. I will tell Sister 
uh, Dorcas in front here. I said, Sister Dorcas, what the Lord wants you to do is figure out what's evil in the world and keep yourself from it. Is that difficult? Now that's what I, they see, we're not here just to be educated. I'm here to give you a path to walk on that will keep you in the path that God wants you to walk in. And when you have the language of the Spirit, I don't care how uneducated you are. If the Spirit touches your mind, you would learn to live right. And that is important. And so this man came to Jesus by night, sneakishly coming on into Jesus. And he said to Jesus, he says, Rabbi, he called him a teacher. He says, we know that thou art a teacher and I know that you come from God. Now, could he say that in the synagogue? No. no, they would oppose him. And sometimes one comes to you as a secret disciple, and I appreciate secret disciples. I really do. Sometimes not everyone that stands up and takes the forefront and uh, say, Hosanna in the highest will not say crucify you a few days afterwards. And it breaks your heart when people that you as a human being have confidence in that can turn against you. And so sometimes it's good to keep your credibility secret, to keep your testimony secret if it becomes necessary. All right? Uh, for us to stay in operation and allow the church to move forward, it is necessary sometimes for us not to be blatant and blunt and when we work and we live in a city where the beast is in control, that it takes us and, and closes down the church. Jesus, many a times, he escaped for his life. And that's another subject. But here, Nicodemus came to Jesus and he prayed and he said, I know that you're a man sent from God and no man can do these miracles which thou doest except God be with him. Now, that is conditional because I've seen the devil work miracles too. But this man, a rabbi, a teacher of the Jews, brought up in Jerusalem under the Jewish principles. This is all he knew. He understood Jewish language in that time. And so he says, you do a lot of miracles. And Jesus answered and said unto him. See, Jesus had this perception. He had this gift of uh, uh, understanding and knowledge and discernment that he could look at you and say the right things that is meant for you. And he says, verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You see, and, and this is beautiful. He says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Uh, should he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And then Jesus, very simple, and but you know, one of the things I like about Jesus, he did not just share the gospel to everybody. He spoke in parables, he spoke to everyone generally, and he spoke to parables that only they that had eyes to see might see, and they that had ears to hear might hear. Jesus never give away the gospel to everybody, Tom, Dick, Harry, Jones, and Brown. And that is why it is important when I meet someone, I have to weigh the possibility, let my light shine, that they might see my good work and glorify my Father, which is in heaven. 
I don't have to give the gospel to everyone that I meet on the street. But if I feel the Lord is putting someone in my mind and my heart is inclined uh, to reach onto that individual, I would. See me, your pastor in this church, never wants to be a leader. Since I was small, I never wanted to be a leader of anything. And I always became a leader of something. I don't want to be a leader telling people jump and they jump. No, I'd like to be an ordinary individual. I like a simple life. I love a simple, ordinary life. But my king, which is above everything else, he's something else. Did I want that? No, I remember the first time Brother Wedderburn came and he met me in a youth camp. And he was standing there while the camp was appointing me to be head over all the young people. It was called Youth of Flame in the entire country. And while they were appointing me, I was declining. And I declined and declined. And that's why Brother Wedderburn said he liked me because this man did not want position. I never liked position and authority and power. That kind of thing. I wish someone else would... Delegate responsibility. I preach the gospel and I hope people can follow the word of God. I've always had this thing offered to me. And so when it comes to position and authority, I really don't care. But I saying, what you're looking for to sit on a throne? Well, honestly, if the Lord has to work that in my life and make me rule over some cities and stuff, that's okay. But I would prefer a piece of land by a rippling brook, by a big mountain, and I can plant a garden in the kingdom. You want to sit on a throne? No, 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 I don't really want to sit on a throne. But if I put Sister Chandri on that throne, I'll see that she give me a nice piece of land. Brother John, if I put you on a throne, if I preach the gospel and put you on a throne, you remember what I want? A nice piece of land by a rippling brook and a nice mountain in the background, you know, that don't send down glaciers on you. That's, that's up to now. That's what I want. I really do not want to be some great guy, but I would like to please God in all things. I would like to live for God. I like a simple life in Jesus. That's why I love Jesus. He was not complicated. Jesus was not complicated. He was a simple individual. And so, let's get back to the Word of God, right? Let me stop yapping. And so Nicodemus, Jesus said, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he's old? Shall he enter the second time in his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said, verily I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And so I was puzzled this day when I was in Guyana with that scripture. And I'm thinking, a man is born of water, water baptism, and then he's born with the Holy Spirit, uh, Holy Ghost baptism. You see, I'm thinking that way. Born of water, water baptism, born of the Spirit, Holy Ghost baptism. And I went to bed that night, and I dreamt. And I'm going to tell you what I dreamed. I dreamt that night that I was standing in the pulpit preaching on this scripture. And when I was preaching on this scripture, I said, 
that which is born, verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is the flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is the Spirit. Now in verse 4, Jesus said, except a man be born of water, he didn't say flesh, water, uh, he cannot, and, and the Spirit, two baptisms, two born births, water, and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then the very next verse, instead of saying water again, he says, that which is born of the flesh is the flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is the Spirit. And so when I looked at that scripture in my dream, I was preaching, and I said, well, that which is born of the flesh is the flesh. Sister Dorothy, are you flesh? Tonight? Touch yourself and see if you're flesh. You are flesh. So you were born of the flesh. Right? Uh, Brother Thomas? Uh, your spirit, right? Were you born of the spirit? Because that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And in the dream, I'm thinking, I said, this can't be spirit birth because when you receive the Holy Ghost, you're not spirit. That which is born of the spirit is a spirit being. That which is born of the flesh and then I decided after, in that dream, I said, that which is born of the flesh, so the water birth is not water baptism. The water birth there seems to be natural birth. And it was years after when I looked at the living, uh, living Bible, I think it was, it describes the water birth, that the water breaks and the baby is born. It's the natural birth. And a person must be born as a human being and then he must receive a born-again experience, not in this spiritual sense, that there is a spiritual conception that people call it born-again experience, and that's fine, they call whatever they want. But I'm thinking this born of the Spirit is Spirit. When was Jesus born of the Spirit that his Father said, This day have I begotten you? See, when we hold your finger, uh, leave that scripture, we'll probably come back there. But in Hebrews chapter 1, uh, Jesus, uh, Paul is writing here in Hebrews chapter 1, and he's talking about Jesus. And he's making a statement here. He had, he, God who had sundry times and in diverse man manners spake unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom the Father appointed. See, the Father appointed the Son as heir of all things. If you're heir of all things, uh, you've got to be the lesser to become the inheritor from the greater. There's no trinity here. There's the Father is greater than the Son all the time. The Father has an existence. We can't even use the word existence. The Father was long before. You can't even put long before to describe it. Because the Father lives in eternity where there is no distinction of present, past, and future. He created His Son in His image. He created His Son that His Son would be the image that God would use to generate a creation for mankind. See, the Father is a spirit, and he dwells in the light which no man can approach unto. He is invisible. 
And Paul writes here, he says, Christ, he becomes heir of all things by whom the Father used the Son to make the worlds, or he made, made use the Son to do the creation. Who, Jesus, is the brightness of his glory, the express image of the Father's person. It says uh, the, uh, the Father's substance, he says he's the express image. So when you want to find out about the Father, you'd have to check it out with the Son. Hold your finger in Hebrews chapter uh, 1 and turn back with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You see, um, it's so good when the Bible can just uh, support itself. But this is so beautiful tonight. Uh, we're touching the tip of the iceberg. And Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and he says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, uh, as we have received mercy, we faint not, he says, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walk in craftiness. I'm not here tonight with craftiness. I already told you I don't know a lot of English words. And uh, my English is bad. I don't plan to study Greek and Latin and Hebrew and all those kinds of things. But it's good for some men who can study it, can give us some insight. And uh, one time I was talking to Brother Terry. He's a doctor in, in theology. Yes, he's a doctor in theology. And I give him a hard time all the time. Because, because I'm not a doctor in theology, I give the doctor a hard time all the time. And I said, you know, unless it comes directly from God, it's not original. So when you say original Greek, did it come directly from God? No, some Greek guy that understands a lot of Greek philosophy and all kinds of stuff, uh, they put it together. I love Greek food. I really do. I love Greek food. And that's as far as I get with Greek. But guess what? If you can study and understand some mysteries and stuff like that, that's fine. I prefer the Lord to touch my mind and tell people how to live for God. Amen. And so uh, he goes on here. Paul went on here. He says, um, he goes on further in verse 3. He says, if our gospel be hid, if the gospel I preach, and I'm saying the same to you tonight listening to me. If my gospel be hid, it is hid to them that... God has not opened your eyes to understand your hearts to perceive. If the, for if in the, in whom the God of this world has blinded their minds. He says, but in verse 5, we preach our, not ourselves. We preach not ourselves, but we preach Jesus Christ the Lord. And ourselves, your servant for Jesus' sake. It all is all to do with Jesus. And then in verse 6, beautiful verse of scripture, he says, For God, who commanded, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. That's God the Father behind the Son. Uh, he has created all things by the Son. So God, in the person of Jesus, who commanded Jesus. You know, we have some buildings by square one that's called Caniff Buildings. And if you drive by and somebody point to build to one of those buildings, they say, Kenneth built the building. Uh, he did. Kenneth built the building. Even though he didn't put one nail into anything himself. But he built the building. And God has created all things by his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. So even though Jesus made all things, the Father made all things. 
And Paul went on here in verse 6, our beautiful verse of scripture. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory. Now listen carefully, the glory of God. When you read the Old Testament, you'll find terminologies describing a situation like this. And the glory of God appeared in the tabernacle. The glory of God, Jesus is. So when you see something and people are looking at it and the glory of God appeared in the tabernacle, who are they seeing in the Old Testament? Jesus. He is the glory of God. He's the express image of God's person. God is invisible. You can't see him. He is, you cannot comprehend God. He dwells in a light no man can approach unto. His ways are unsearchable. So why am I trying to search to find him? No, I can find God. Let's find out again. Let's go over again. Verse 6. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where? In the face of our Lord Jesus. So when you're looking for the glory of God, look at Jesus. When you understand Jesus, you will understand all that the human uh, faculties have uh, to comprehend, is able to comprehend God. Our minds are finite and we can only comprehend so much. Well, you can comprehend when you look at the sun, don't look at the sun, look at the moon and be able to be calm and admire the moon because the moon is a reflection of the sun and so is the Father reflected in the face of his son Jesus. That is why the most important thing is Jesus. Jesus is the sweetest name I know. See, that's where, I didn't tell Nadine what we'll preach on tonight, but this, we're, we're on the same page here tonight. We're on the same page tonight. Jesus is everything. There's none other name given on the heaven whereby we must be saved, but the name Jesus. This is so wonderful. And so the Father is seen in the face of the Lord Jesus. And this is important. So uh, back to where we were. Where were we? Prior to that, we were, we finishing, are we finished with John? John chapter uh, 3, uh, what's that? Hebrews, yes, I think I knew there was something else. I got Hebrews right up in front of me here. And so it says, God with sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom? He the Father appointed heir of all things, the greater appoint the lesser to become inheritor, right? By whom also the Father made the worlds, or the ages, who, Jesus, is the brightness of his glory, and he is the express image of the Father's person. Uh, he is the express image of the Father's substance. There's no other way you'll see anything about the Father. When John saw that vision, uh, when Stephen saw the vision of God the Father and Jesus standing at his right hand, what did he see for God the Father? God is invisible. But visions in Revelation are symbolic. So Stephen knew what he was seeing. He can't see God. No man had seen God at any time, period. I can't handle the word of God deceitful and tell you otherwise. 
That's what it says. It says exactly what it says and means exactly what it says. And here he says, uh, he had purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Uh, verse 4, being made so much better than the angels, Jesus was made better than the angels. He had a commencement time. He was the firstborn of God's creation, both in the natural creation and in the resurrection. All right, let's keep that in mind. We don't have time to get in all of this tonight, but I'll do my best. Uh, in Revelation, hold your finger in Hebrews, don't give it up. In Revelation, the uh, second, third chapter of Revelation, uh, when John is writing here to the churches of, of uh, Revelation, when he was writing to the church of Laodicea, he made a statement like this. He says, verse 14, chapter 3, he says, Unto the angel of the church of Laodicea write, These things said the Amen. Who is the Amen? Jesus. The, the faithful. Who is the faithful and true witness? Jesus. He is also the beginning of the creation of God. The firstborn that God ever created was Jesus. So I leave Revelation. I'm coming to Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1, uh, Paul is writing here concerning Jesus. He says, um, uh, verse, uh, uh, oh, God has translated out of from darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, verse 13. He had delivered us from the power, from dark, delivered us from the power of darkness and <clears throat> translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom, that is in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Who is Jesus? Is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. In creation, Jesus is the firstborn. The doctrine of the Trinity is not correct. Theologically, it's not correct. Brother Singh, you don't believe in the Father? Yes, I do. You don't believe in the Son? Yes, I do. You don't believe in the Holy Ghost? Yes, I do. But the way they set it up, co-equal, co-existent, co-eternal, that's incorrect. Jesus had a commencement. That's why he called the Father the Father. And if John writes, uh, Paul writes here, he says he's the firstborn from creation, in creation, right? What verse is that? He says, um, uh, the firstborn of every creature, verse 15. For by him, Jesus, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones and dominions and principalities and powers and all things were created by him and for him and then he goes on to say he is the head before he is before all things and by him all things consist and not only is he the firstborn in creation let's read further on here verse 18 he is the head of the body the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Not only was he the firstborn in God's creation, but he was also the firstborn from the dead. So Jesus was resurrected by the Father. When did this happen? Well, I'm finished with uh, Colossians. 
I'm finished with Hebrews. Uh, no, I'm not finished with Hebrews, but I'm finished with Colossians. I'm coming back to Hebrews. And so Paul, in writing to the Hebrews here, and oh my gosh, time is running out on me here tonight. Um, coming back to Hebrews, the very first chapter, it goes further down and it says, who, uh, who make verse 7, uh, verse 8, just to skip on time. But unto the Son, he said, the Father is talking to the Son. And the Father didn't tell the angels any wonderful things about their inheritance. He tells the Son, thy throne. The Father is calling the Son God. And people get mixed up with this because they say, oh, the Father called him God, so he is God the Father. No, no, he didn't call him Father. He's calling his Son God because God begets God. One day, if we're qualified to sit on thrones and resurrect and be in the kingdom, this mortal shall put on immortality. The concept that the soul is immortal is a Hindu philosophy and pagan philosophy, not a Christian doctrine. And this is where we have to shake off doctrines that are so embedded in Christianity that men that are great theologians believe in. But I'm glad this church is a small church. We don't have to understand a lot of things. Just faith in God and that he would help us to live for him. Amen. And he says, he says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness. Right? That is a scepter of thy kingdom. Uh, he says, um, Thou hast loved righteousness and hatred and iniquity. And that is important. But as we back up to verse 5, he says, Unto which of the Son angels said he at any time? Which of the angels did the Father say at any time, Thou art my Son? This day have I begotten thee. What day did the Father beget the Son after his kind? So when God created the Son in the original creation, he was not... He was son created as a God to create, but not a God with the fullness of God. He was not a perfect son of God with the fullness of God. God did not beget him in the original creation. When did God beget the son? There was a day when the father beget the son or begot the son, that the son became a part of the fullness of God that was dwelling in him. And uh, he says, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I'll be to him a father, and he'll be unto me a son. I've got a few minutes here. Just, just follow me here as we brush through some of these things. I think I want the 13th chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. In the 13th chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, uh, Paul is writing, uh, Paul is talking here uh, to a bunch of individuals and he's talking about Jesus and he's talking about how David prophesied of Jesus that God would raise him from the dead. And he goes on here, he says, but God raised him, verse 30, God raised him from the dead and he was seen many days of them which came uh, up with him from Jerusalem, Galilee to Jerusalem who are his witnesses, witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto our fathers, the promise of the resurrection was made unto our fathers, God had fulfilled the same unto their children, in that he had raised up Jesus again. 
See, Jesus had to be put out of existence. If he was in the fullness of God, uh, sonship, he could not be put out of existence. When you receive immortality, you can't lose it. And he was put out of existence, and then God brought him again into existence. And that is why, verse 33, For God had fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he had raised them again. As it is written in the psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. When did this happen? As concerning that he raised him from the dead. No, now no more to return to corruption. And he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. When did Jesus get... Uh, became a son of God. When was he born again? As we look again before we close the service in, Nebu in, 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 uh, in John chapter 3. When did this happen? Well, turn with me just a few pages over to first uh, Romans chapter 1. Uh, well, Paul said in chapter, in chapter 13 there, as concerning he raised him from the dead. Isn't that what he said? Uh, he God declared him to be the son of God. Uh, concerning his resurrection. I'm going to read that again. Just give me a few extra minutes here tonight. Uh, we might have to do this. Verse 33, Acts 13. God had fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he had raised up Jesus again, as it is written in the second Psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. What day? As concerning that he raised him from the dead, now no more to return to corruption. That day was Jesus' resurrection day. His mortal put on immortality. That's when Jesus was born again. And I'll show you that uh, very quickly here. So here in Romans, the very first chapter, Paul is writing to the church at Rome. And he says, um, verse 2, which he had promised aforetime by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul is saying, this prophecy, some of these things are written uh, not for David's sake, but for Jesus. As concerning Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of, uh, made of the seed of David as a human being, according to the flesh. He was born of the flesh. When was he born of the spirit and declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness? When? By the resurrection of the dead. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is a spirit being. Today, Jesus is not a flesh being. He is a spirit being. And that is why when his disciples were gathered in the room and he walked in. Uh, they were there. Doors are locked. They were afraid. And suddenly he appeared unto them. Where did he come from? They didn't know. Where did he go when he disappeared? They did not know. He was now a spirit being. He could take whatever form he wants. That is why when he walked with his disciples on the road to Emmaus, they did not recognize him until he touched their eyes to see who he was. So back in John, the third chapter, tell me what you think as we close this service off here tonight. He says, Nicodemus says, how can a man be born? Shall he enter into the second time into his mother's womb? And Jesus says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. There was a time when Jesus was born of the flesh. He was flesh. That was the time when the water broke and he was born of the water. This is nothing to do with water baptism. It is nothing to do with Holy Ghost baptism. Because here is what Jesus said to Nicodemus. 
He said, um, that which is born of the flesh, verse 7, marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. He says, the wind, everyone listen carefully, my dream, this happened in my dream, years ago in Gaia, the wind blow it where it listed. You hear the sound thereof, but you can't tell where it came from and where it's going. So is everyone born of the Spirit. That's a literal resurrection. That's not Holy Ghost baptism. The Jesus didn't know where we came from. No, they didn't know when he left. No. When they saw him ascend in heaven, were two angels holding him, taking him up? No, he had a spiritual body. He was not only the firstborn in creation, he's the firstborn from the dead with immortality. What a wonderful person we have as our Lord and Savior. And so he said to Nicodemus, he said, A wind blow it where it listed. Thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst tell whence it cometh, or whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? And Jesus said to Nicodemus, He says, How can these, uh, he says, Art thou a master, a teacher of Israel, and you don't know these things? Did Jesus expect Nicodemus to understand the baptism of the Holy Ghost? No. He was a teacher of the Jews. But the resurrection? Yes, he should know these things. And so Jesus said, you're a teacher of the Jews. He's not talking about the day of Pentecost here. He's talking about the literal resurrection. That which is born of the flesh, except the man be born of the flesh and a man be born again he cannot enter into the kingdom for a man to inherit the kingdom he must receive a resurrection that gives him everlasting life and immortality if he's to rule and reign with christ an everlasting kingdom cannot be governed by a short-lived uh, frail um, finite human being and so for Christ to establish an everlasting kingdom uh, to which there shall be no end, he must have the church prepare that staff for him. And when the Lord touches you and this mortal shall put on immortality, uh, God will raise up leaders that will sit and rule with Christ forever and ever and ever. Jesus is a wonderful savior and the scripture is a wonderful book. Now I'd had a dream that tell me what this thing said. So it's either God gave me the dream or the devil did. You figure it out. Tonight, I'm glad that I found what the scripture really says about this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for another Wednesday night. Again, Lord, we want to remember those that are not well, that you'll touch them. But Lord, as we study your word, help us not, O oh God, to be resistant to truth, but open our hearts and our understanding that we understand these mysteries. Thank you that we are born in the flesh today. Thank you we can have a Holy Ghost spiritual experience. But Lord, we are anticipating that day when this mortal shall put on immortality and we'll be born of the Spirit in reality, Father. Bless this message to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.